Welcome to Men Talk, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the world of miscarriage, infertility, infant loss, and stillbirth. Hosted by Daniel Landau, founder of menshelpline.org, we'll be sitting down every week with real guys to discuss their stories, struggles, and triumphs. So grab a drink, sit tight, and let's talk. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Men Talk podcast, where we talk about miscarriage, infant loss, stillbirth, and infertility. I'm very excited to introduce today's guest. Our guest today is Tom Webb. Tom is the executive director of a film called The Easy Bit, which is a really exciting film that talks about male infertility. So Tom, the floor is yours. Feel free to take away, introduce yourself, talk a little about the film, and we'll, we'll take it from here. Sure, cool. Okay. First of all, Daniel, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Um, it's really great to see all the work you're doing and, and the, the, the stuff you're building up, this, this organization you're building up. It's really, really great. Um, your reasonings for doing what you're doing in the, in the space you're doing it every sound like they're pretty much exactly the same as my reasons for making this documentary. So, uh, I'm the de- director of a, a documentary called The Easy Bit. And it's uh, essentially the, the male perspective of fertility treatment. Um, it's six men talking uh, incredibly candidly, openly, honestly about what it was like for them to experience going through fertility treatment um, and the sort of the emotional journey that they went on. Um, I, I made it because my wife and I spent 12 years trying to have a child so throughout that time you know I found that support was very lacking I didn't find much in the way of information for men you might get like my wife would buy stacks of books about infertility process and uh, and IVF and and we'd read look through them together and at best there'd be like a chapter for the men and it would pretty much be reduced to just about what it you know you go and give a sample. There was very little beyond that. And, um, so we, we kind of got to a point where, uh, we didn't think that we'd be able to have children. We, we, after about, must've been after about 10 or 11 years, uh, we'd had a couple of rounds of fertility treatment. Both of those had failed, and we were looking down the route of being sort of childless, not by choice. Um, and I kind of didn't really know what to do with that. I, I found it very, too, it's probably like one of the darkest periods of my life. I just didn't, I couldn't cope with it very well. And I, I kind of got to, it sort of awakened my drive a bit. And, and, and I, I was like, I have to have, there has to be some sort of positive outcome. Like I needed to to do something so that like there was some good could come out of everything we'd been through. Um, and, you know, working in video production, being a filmmaker, I thought, okay, I have a skill set here that I could put to good use to create a resource for men. Um, so that's what I did. Found these six guys and uh, pulled together this feature length documentary. Um, which I, I should say, uh, we've now released it on, uh, YouTube for free. 
so uh, it, before it was available for rental on Amazon and for rental on Vimeo, but recently we've just released it on YouTube for free as a free resource to everybody because um, we, we just want it out there for people to, to use. That's a really incredible. First off, how did you come across those other men who you interviewed for the film? Were you friends with them? Did you get it? Did you find them online? How did you, how did you find them? So at that time, I could find nothing. Like it was when I, when I made the decision to start making the film, my goal was to find 10 men to talk. And for months, I just got nowhere. Um, my wife and I had a, my wife and I had a blog that we, we kept. It was called, um, Journey to the Far Side of the Womb. And we, we wrote that blog while we were going through our two rounds of treatment in 2015, it would have been. Um, and we had like a Twitter account and all that kind of stuff. So we, like, I tried to find people via that and there were very, very few. I, I couldn't really get in contact with anyone. And then by sheer chance, uh, there was a lady we'd, who we'd got to know called um, Kelly De Silva, and she runs a organisation called the Dovecote in the UK, which is for women who are childless, not by choice. Um, and she she does a lot of work within the fertility space. She's a, quite an incredible lady, the way she kind of goes off and does these amazing things. And out of the blue one day she contacted me and she said you you do video work don't you and i was like yeah and she said okay well i'm working with this charity and they've got a campaign about infertility stories um but they can't afford to pay anyone to make any videos for their campaign it's a big ask but would you be interested in doing a like a little pro bono job and i was like yeah okay yeah fine that's i had access to a studio i had access to cameras and it was like, yeah, people, you know, I think we did, we, we made like 10 of them and it was just, they'd come for half an hour and we filmed something and I filmed all sorts of stories for that. It was men, women, couples. Um, you know, there was one lady who was born with a really rare condition where she didn't have a womb, but she had ovaries and fallopian tubes. So technically she was fertile, but she couldn't carry a baby so she didn't qualify for fertility treatment because technically she was fertile so it was like some really complicated uh, and interesting stories but every time a man walked into the studio i would say i'm making a i'm going to do this as a feature documentary would you be interested and i think in that set of interviews we there were five men that walked in and only one of them said no so four of the guys came from those interviews. Uh, one of the men in that interview, Gareth, he had also just recently set up a private Facebook group for men dealing with fertility treatment. Um, and I was like, okay, cool. All right. I'll, and I said, and on the day I was like, okay, I'll, I'll join that. And I remember when I joined it, I was the 26th person to join it. And there are now over 3,000 worldwide. Wow. Uh, this was like six years ago. Um, uh, so once I got in there, I was like, hi, I'm doing this. Doc, is anyone interested in doing this? I got one more guy that way. 
And then one of the guys I'd already got kind of said, oh, I've just done an interview with this lady on the radio and she's going through it too. Let me pass you her details and maybe her husband might be interested because he's kind of in that world. So he, he, he'd he know the process. I was like, okay, great. And that panned out as well. There was a couple of people that were interested but then said no. Um, and I already had I, an idea of things I really wanted to make sure I covered. So I wanted to make sure that I had a nice spread of uh, male factor, female factor, unexplained uh, combined factors. Um, and obviously I didn't know at that point whether people would be successful or not or what have you. Um, but I was hoping that I would get a, you know, not that I wouldn't want anyone not to succeed in having a child, but, but in terms of the film, I didn't, I didn't want it to include people that like where everyone got, uh, a child at the end because it, it's not realistic. Um, uh, you know, and I think it's important to show the, the, the darker side of it where you're not successful and how you kind of cope with that bit. Um, so that's kind of how I came by the guys. Um, and then we shot, uh, the interviews ranged between an hour and four hours long. Uh, yeah. So it was an interesting process trying to get them on board. How long did it take you to, to make the film all together? I know you said it's an hour, four hour interviews. How, how long did it take? So I built, I started, so the initial concept for the film came about in the middle of 2015. And we screened it at the Raindance Film Festival in London uh, for the first time in September 2019. And then it got released online in April 2020. So um, it was a passion project. So like I didn't get paid for it. So it had to all be done in my spare time, which is why it, it probably took longer than uh, it, it would it should have done. But we filmed... We did five days where we filmed interviews because I did two guys on one day. And then we did six days where we sort of did little follow-up bits. Um, so in terms of filming, it was like 11 days worth of filming. And then the rest of it would have been editing. And I would I would literally like go to work, do a full day's work, come home. And then from like 11 till 2 in the morning, edit, try and get the film into decent shape. Good for you. You must have been exhausted doing that. I mean, it's probably yeah, it was, a stressful process. Yeah, it's pretty full on, and it's you know, but it's one of those things. I think that you know, when you've got a passion project and you you can put that time into it, it you know, it, things that have happened since have definitely made it all worth it. And you know, I think it was a it was a cathartic experience for me. Um, I, I should probably say that, like, um, although we got into this place where we were childless, not by choice, about after about six months, um, my wife and I went and saw a consultant, and they, uh, they tried a few things, and uh, it resulted in us having a girl, uh, a little girl. Um, uh, but to this day, we still don't know like why we had trouble. We're not sure why we were, uh. Uh, uh, we don't we had unexplained infertility and it's still unexplained um but we do have a little girl now she's five years old um 
so it was kind of a it was a really crazy process to kind of like you know go through that real low uh of of the childless period kickstart all of this sort of passion project with the movie and then in the process of that also then have the pregnancy and the birth of my daughter and then finally like the making of the film the release of the film so it's, it was yeah it was quite a tumultuous couple of years what was that i can really imagine what was that what was that journey like for you i mean taking your own journey going mm-hmm. through the process you're not sure why you know you couldn't have children what really the cause is you're not alone in that because the statistics show that one in eight couples struggle with infertility mm-hmm. so the person to your left, the person to your right can, could have gone, could have gone through it. So yeah. taking your own journey, being there for, for your wife and hearing these stories of, of, of these men and these couples, what was that process like for you? Did you experience any grief from doing this or was it more on, on, on the pleasure side? Like, Hey, I went through this now. I want to help hear, hear their stories and help them through it, follow them along, try and get insights, advice. Yeah, it's a really complex set of emotions, really complicated. Um, so first off, it was definitely grief. And I think infertility grief is different to... So I'd experienced grief a fair amount in terms of people around me that had died. Uh, but, you know, they were, generally speaking, they were older relatives or, you know, parents of friends and... So I'd kind of got comfortable with my grief dealing process when it came to that. I think I I I kind of knew how it would, would pan out and it you know it, it's something that I'd kind of I, I I understood, right? But this was a very different grief because it's something that you're grieving at that point. I you were I was grieving something that I'd never had. So I so you, you're grieving something that you didn't know, you didn't understand. You like there are no memories that you can take comfort in. There, are, so it's a really unusual set of emotions. And I think, like I know, I didn't cope with that well with it. Like looking back on it now, I think it's only so. This would have been 2015, so seven years ago, and it's only in the last 18 months to two years that I've really kind of started to understand how much it affected me started going to counseling um and i think for me at the time you can probably see but i know if, if there's any video you can see behind me there's a lot of cameras and I, like the way i coped with it at the time was to teach myself film photography and just get absorbed and distract and you know that meant my relationship suffered with my wife and it you know it, yeah it was that was a really really low period so i think then the the idea to make the film was just a way for me to work through that emotion and, and kind of find a positive thing that I could say, okay, well, I, I went through all of that, but at least it wasn't for nothing. And I think that was, that was one of the things I struggled with. Um, and yeah. And then I think just sitting there listening to those guys, talking to them, trying to create a really safe space for them to talk. Um, I had a rule with them that uh, any question I asked them, they were allowed to ask me. 
So it was definitely a two-way thing. Uh, they they knew what I'd been through. I would tell them my story beforehand, so they felt comfortable with me. And I and I think we were all, all of us had this thing. that was like, well, even if this film goes out and only one person watches it, but it's one guy who sits there and goes, "Oh, I'm not alone. I can go and find people. I can talk to people about it. It's not something to be ashamed of. It would be absolutely worth." all of the work, all of the toil. And that was kind of our, our sort of driving force for me and for the guys taking part, I think. Um, yeah, so it's a really kind of complex set of emotions. And obviously in parallel to that, my my wife and I, we got to the point where we were suddenly pregnant, which was a complete shock. Um, and going through this pregnancy and, and trying to manage all of the fears with that, because that became, that went from grief to like high anxiety, like, you know, every day looking at like what percentage chance of a miscarriage is there today. And then like all of that kind of stuff. And it was, that was really intense and full on. And then I think the thing that I found the weirdest is once my daughter was born, you for the first couple of years i had these weird like something joyous would happen something that we dreamed of and there'd be this joy within me to that we were that it, this thing that you know whether it was her, her birthday party or or something like that and yet at the same time it was like my my emotions were split in two there was this other part of me that was feeling what I would have felt if it had never happened. And it was very strange to have that. So I I don't know if there was some, obviously I, I know a lot of people that haven't been as fortunate. So there's probably a bit of that. That's me empathizing with them. So that was kind of strange and difficult to deal with for a while. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a very, and like I say, only really now that I've I'm a bit more removed from it, and I've stepped back a bit from it more, and I'm I'm a bit more time has passed that I can really understand what emotions I was going through and how much it really affected me, you know. Yeah, it's really, I mean, the emotions that must have gone through it, what you described is kind of the experience that every guy really goes through. There's mm-hmm. just so much that happens, especially yeah. when you get pregnant, you know, unexpectedly and you're going through this and, whoa, wait a second, I want to tell all my friends, but then you're unsure if there's going to be a miscarriage and, you know, should I go to therapy? Should I not go to therapy? Mm-hmm. And then we're strong dealing relationships, you know, with, with, with our spouses. And it's just, mm-hmm really really challenging yeah how do you how do you suggest going forward giving advice to other men you know saying we are strong we aren't silent like changing the norm where we say it's okay to share Mm -hmm. your story it's okay to be upset it's okay to have these emotions how do we make it a societal norm for for men to to not necessarily grieve about it but really be out in the open as opposed to being so closed off about it. Mm, I, th- I think you've hit, absolutely hit the nail on the head in that it is a societal norm that you have this. 
what's now referred to as toxic masculinity, this kind of concept of the man being the strong one, the one that keeps all the emotions suppressed and you have to be there for your partner. It's like, yeah, you need to be emotionally available for your partner. You need to support them, but that doesn't mean you minimize your own feelings. Um, so one of the first people that got in touch with me when I was, uh, when I was researching for the film, I was trying to find out if anyone had actually ever done any proper research into what, what I was interested in. And there was a, a lady called Dr. Esme Hanna and she and another, a man whose name I can never remember. And I always feel really bad that I can't remember his name. Um, they are researchers and, and, uh, scientists, uh, Leeds Beckett University in the UK and they actually did a study into how men seek help for mental health and for infertility in particular um, and they did a really interesting study and what they found was that men don't tend to seek professional help but they do seek and prefer peer-to-peer -peer support so that proverbial chatting with your mates down the pub going to a bar or going to like a sports game and just having a talk like that kind of environment is where men are more likely to open up. The trouble with that is there's such a stigma around infertility, uh, grief, infant loss, miscarriage, all of that kind of stuff that it's something that not many men would want to openly admit to because there's a bit of shame embarrassment particularly if it's male factor which you know there shouldn't be unfortunately there is um so i think it's one of the topics and the subjects that doesn't really come up in that environment um so that's what's interesting about things like the facebook groups where uh, you can be a member of something and it's completely private to the rest of your world and only you know you are part of that group. And even though other people in the group know your identity, and you can post anonymously if you ask an admin to post for you, um, it creates that peer-to-peer -peer network and support. And I think it's a really good first step so for people that know that they're not dealing very well or they need something or they're not sure where to go, like a, a, a private Facebook group seems to be a really good first step. And the one that I'm in, like I said, there's like over 3,000 members now. The majority, like a vast majority, are what we would class as inactive members. So all they're doing is getting the posts in their news feed, but they're not interacting with them. They're not commenting. They're not posting. And normally on a social networking site, that's like people like, oh, we don't want that. We want people to engage, we want people to talk. But within this environment, that's actually really good because it means that people are just looking, taking note and finding comfort. And that's what they need. And we often find that some of the guys will be in the group for a couple of years before they actually post their first post or comment their first comment. Um and, and like I say, it's like a stepping stone. Once people get comfortable that other people are talking about it, they get comfortable talking about it. They get more comfortable seeking professional help. I think it's very important with like within the group we're in, we don't give advice. We don't say you should do this, that or the other. It's much more about 
I'm going through this and other people saying, I oh, really, that's awful. I'm, I've been through something similar, really horrible. Really sad to hear that. I hope you're okay. You know, it's that kind of support as opposed to, Oh, you need to go and do this or that, or you need to try these supplements or, you know, we, we try to avoid that kind of stuff in general. Um, and then people can kind of go and seek the next level of help when they feel that they need it. And, and I think that's, that's the important thing is that if you want to seek help, you've got to be in the right place and the right frame of mind to, to do it effectively. Um, and I think it's changing that, which is what hopefully things like the easy bit and things like men's helpline are going to do is make it a bit more acceptable that, yeah, you are dealing with a load of problems. You are, it is okay to feel overwhelmed. It is okay to feel anxious, grief, depressed. Like that's absolutely normal. That's what being a human being is. And sometimes, particularly in fertility treatment, normally the person you would turn to with a lot of stuff is your partner. And that's not always possible, particularly through fertility treatment when there's a lot of artificial hormones in play. They're going through all of their stuff. And I, I know that I always felt, I'm like, I don't want to add my burden to my wife. She's already got enough. And although she would normally be the first person I turn to. So it's not like I didn't feel supported by her. It just felt like I didn't want to add to what she had. So, you know, I was, I was lucky in that there were a couple of people at work that were, would listen to me. They didn't necessarily have that full level of understanding because they hadn't been through it, but it, they would, I had somewhere I could talk at least. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's every man finds their way and that peer to peer support is definitely the first step. And then on from there. Yeah. Absolutely. What do you what do you suggest we do in the future? Do you think that all these people on this group should have we should have like a, a retreat, a weekend, a getaway? Because obviously it's it's very stressful on the guy. It's also stressful mm-hmm. on the spouse. You know, just take a step away, a breath of fresh air, go on a hike, talk about it, have a barbecue, play some music. What do you think would work for? for all of our listeners and people on these groups. Yeah. So I think it's, I think it always, I think it always depends on what stage people are at. Um, and I can definitely see the benefits of like that sort of retreat or, you know, um, I remember I was in a group, I did a, I did a little presentation and talk to a, a, like a workshop thing, uh, a while ago. And, there were two, two, what they refer to as artists. And I was one of them because I'd made a film. And the other one was a lady who she had, she had done these sort of experience days with women going through, I can't remember what, I think it might have been cancer or it could have been something else. And she was interested in doing it for men going through fertility. So she was using it to kind of ask this group of men. It was only like four, four or five people. Uh, you know, if, if we wanted to do something like that, what would we do? And bizarrely, all of us put down an activity outdoors and all of us put down a location of a forest. I, I have no idea what the significance of that was. Um, but I thought it was really kind of interesting. And I, I personally, I think, you know, like a forest and trees is very kind of peaceful and, and, you know, and I said, oh, you know, you could go on a walk through a forest and maybe if there's a place where you can, like, 
you know, maybe if, if there's a felled tree and people want to like chop logs or something like doing something like that. So you've got a place that if people are feeling a bit angry, they've got a place to kind of work out a bit of physical thing, maybe doing something like that or carrying like a tree, like a tree trunk, like through the forest or something like that. And it, there, there were sort of ideas like that. And so I kind of think that that is a really good thing that could work. Um, but like I say, the anonymous private Facebook groups is like a start. And then when people get, you know, then the meetups, maybe uh, somewhere where I think it has to be very organic in terms of how things go. So like no pressure to talk. So it's just like, here's a group of guys. We all know we've got something in common, but let's go and do something. And then, you know, people can kind of make friendships or just get chatting about things and let it, let it happen organically without trying to be like, okay, we're going to sit in a circle and talk about these things. Like, I think, I think that's when people will clam up. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how what, the things I would, I would think of would, would work pretty well, I think. Um, but every guy is different. So you never know. There are so many of us out there mm. and everybody should not be ashamed or embarrassed if you're going through this because it is so popular. The person on your left, the person on your right could have gone through it mm. and you just never know. It does not hurt to ask the question. I'll tell you a story. Uh, something that happened to me recently. I was out shopping and I ran into someone, you know, I, I heard your conversation, see what's going on. So I pulled the person to the side. I said, hey, wait a second, you know, you're not alone in this, you know, if you want to talk about it. Well, of course, it was, they, were, they were taken aback about it. Because you know, whoever approaches someone out and about when they see something, there's a saying: if you see something, say something. So I approached this particular guy, and he was taken aback. Gave me his number. We started we started chatting. He actually told me he said, "Thank you for reaching out to me. I actually I was feeling completely overwhelmed, so Mm -hmm. stressed. I didn't know how to deal with it. My emotions are like up here." And the fact that you just reached out to me changed my life for the better. I'm mm. much more happier knowing I have a resource out there in order yeah. to connect with another guy going through it. So yeah. the, the message of your film of sharing those stories is just so, so powerful and so, so needed. And I really, really hope that your film gets shared, not just in film festivals. I think this, the level of awareness that needs to be out there whether it be hospitals, whether it be clinicians' offices, whether it just be even a feature film in the movie theaters. Mm. You know, it, these stories need to be heard. They need to be shared, and, it, and the world needs to listen. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I, I, I recently did a thing. I, I, I teach um, documentary filmmaking for an organization called Brain Dance in the UK, and we had, had an open day, and the lecturers had to come and, like, you know, this is my course, and it's cool. And... During the process that I said, oh, I made, I, you know, I've made a feature length documentary. It's called, uh, you know, it's about what men go through when they go through fertility treatment. And, um, a guy at the back of the room just put his hand up and he went, um, what's, what's that documentary called? And I said, oh, it's called the easy bit. And he just went, that's a great title. And as soon as he said that, I was like, oh, you know, it's like you've, ex- you, you know what I'm talking about here. You've experienced this because you've, you've, you've got that title. You know what that's a refer- reference to without me having to explain it. 
And then after the session had finished, it was lunchtime and there was, there was me, this guy, a, a woman and another guy were left in the room. And the guy said to me, he, he came out and he said, look, I wish I'd known about your documentary. My wife and I went through it, blah, blah, blah. And then the other guy pipes up and said, oh, my sister and her husband are going through it. Can, can I, what's the details of this, blah, blah, blah. And the woman in the room was sitting there, she just went, hang on a minute. How is this a thing that I don't, like the, out of this room, I'm standing here and all three of you have got some connection or have experienced this. Why have I not seen more about it? Why do I not know about it? And I said, that's the problem. That's why I made this film. You know, and it just, it really highlighted that, that it's not a thing that gets talked about. And like you say, we've just got to change the, change the perception and change the narrative of, of what's out there. Yeah. It definitely also boils down to education, you know, in the mm. school system. Yeah. They talk about, you know, sex education, how are, you know, how are, how are babies made, you know, how oh, the sperm and the egg, you know, yeah. really they should be talking about not just sperm and egg, but fertility in general the fertility treatments that some couples have you know there's a lot more that that needs to be done needs to be talked about even in the even how clinicians approach it men Mm -hmm. should not be afraid to say hey wait a second just like someone gets their prostate checked you know if they Mm -hmm. they have prostate cancer you know there should be this it's not a stigma it should be hey i'm a guy i know i want to have kids in the future Let's not be afraid. Let's get checked. Make sure, see, everything is okay and working. And and if not, then there's treatments available. Start the process as early as possible. Mm, Yeah, I I totally agree. I I think a lot of, um, you know, a lot of uh, sex education is based on the fact of like, oh, this is how it all works, but don't do it. Make sure you're using conscious, like don't get pregnant because they don't want teenagers to be irresponsible. And it's like, okay, that's fair enough. That's fine. But you, there's got to be that also. But there is a there is a ticking clock element here. There is a you know there, there there are issues that you can encounter, and if people don't investigate them, like you say, it's, for some people it could be too late. Um, you know, I know some of the, the women I've met, they 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 their ovarian reserves depleted when they were in their late teens or early twenties, and they had no idea. So it meant that they they couldn't have because they didn't act on it quick enough so by the time they knew what was going on it was too late to harvest eggs and so you know i think just educating right from that level is is really really important i'm wondering if the government i know you're in the uk Mm. and doing things in the us israel it's international i'm wondering if the government should get together and say hey wait a second let's put together some sort of incentive program because mm. I'm sure it costs the government in the UK a ton of money for all these treatments. It costs the government of Israel a ton of money. And yet mm. in the other countries, people are shelling out thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah. I'm wondering if the governments would say, hey, wait a second, let's give you an incentive, some type of spark, some type of retreat, whatever it is, to to get tested. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a tricky one because I know in the UK it's a bit weird at the moment because they're – it always used to be that you got three rounds of fertility treatment with the NHS, the National Health Service. But then they put that power into what are called CCGs, which are like the little local area governing bodies, like the managers of that little area. And to save money, they started to cut IVF funding and fertility treatment funding. So we were, it took us ages because you have to meet the certain criteria and then 
each little area started to be like, oh, okay, well, this is the national criteria, but this is our criteria. So it become it beca- very quickly became a very uneven playing field. So now we have w- what's being called a postcode lottery. So, but depending on where you live depends on how much fertility treatment you get. And I know people who are literally moving house because if they live in a certain area, they get three rounds. If they live in one area, they get two. Some areas they don't get any at all. And it's wow. It, yeah, it's becoming a nightmare. And I know that, um, a lot of, there's a lot of lobbying going on to make it more fair and more even and go back to having a consistent thing across the board. Like if you live in Scotland, you get free, three free rounds still. And yeah, so it's unfortunately at the moment, there's a big battle between the managers and the people that hold the money and the patients and, you know, things are happening, like people are getting their rounds cancelled. Like we, we, we were going into ours. We got the final sign off to say, yes, you qualify for treatment. One week after our little area said, you can only have two rounds. And so we went into a meeting thinking we were going to get three. And they were like, actually, no, you're only going to get two. And it was like, oh, great. Now there's another added level of pressure and stress. And, you know, I know there are guys out there and there are people out there that have to pay for everything. And I just, I can't imagine how much extra stress that adds, you know, like the experience I had was, was hard enough. Then to add the financial pressures of that must be absolutely awful. Yeah. People go into debt over it. It's it's insane. Mm. People are taking out second mortgages on their home. It's really, really crazy. Mm. I really can't believe it. I mean, I'm, I'm in total shock that in the UK, the NHS said, yes, we provide this, but now in the local areas is a lottery for this. I mean, what on earth? Like that's, that's mind blowing. Yeah. It's, yeah, unfortunately it's the, the government we have and they're not, you know, I think they'd rather, there wasn't an NHS and they, they want to push towards getting the American style healthcare system, which nobody wants, you know, yeah, it's so I think I'm hoping what will happen is we'll get a change of government here in the UK that will then bolster the NHS back up to what it should be rather than dismantling it apart. But, you know, what are you, what are your thoughts on the UK leaving the EU? Do you think that fertility treatment and the level of care that patients are going to get when going through and the support is going to be better off or worse based on that? Uh, I, I would undoubtedly say worse. Um, I think the re so it's very complicated as to why the Britain left the EU. I disagree with it. I didn't vote. I voted to remain in as part of the EU. Um, it so far, what we're seeing is, uh, everything is becoming more expensive. Uh, it's harder to get things in and out of the country. Um, things like energy prices are going up. Uh, all of the stuff. So before, because we had to adhere to EU law, there were certain things in place that protected consumers and protected uh, our human rights and protected uh, all sorts of things. Uh, like they put caps on energy prices, uh, fuel prices. Now all of that's gone. So our current government are just like, okay, well, we'll just, 
yeah, you can you can start. So our as of April first, our energy prices are going up by fifty four percent. Oh my! So that's going to be, I think, for me personally, another hundred pounds per month. Uh, and they're expecting the energy prices to go up. I think by another 40% or something in October, November time. And it, and so like there's stuff like that that's happening. So when you look at all of that stuff, so import and export is getting a bit harder. So obviously things like uh, medical supplies, like we went through a period where medical supplies like were tricky because they screwed it up so royally that they didn't have all of the right paperwork in place. So things were getting held at, ports and you know hopefully that's all being rectified and they're working through that stuff but the prices are going to go up which means the price of treatments are going to go up it means things like uh just the things like literally something like energy you think about the energy usage in a medical facility that's going to go up so that's going to add overheads right you would think they would have to pay their staff more because of the overheads they probably won't because that's the, usually the last thing that go up wages so yeah it's i think i i'm i hope that the british nation at some point realized that they were they were sold a story that wasn't true uh for the benefit of very few people um and it was fueled by uh sort of jingoistic uh tapping into certain racisms and xenophobias and yeah it was a yeah it was a pretty horrific thing to have happened to be honest i think and we're gonna as a country we're gonna feel the benefits of that for a very long time let's hope it gets better benefits yeah until we get a different government in i don't think it's going to because you know the people in charge they like to line their own pockets and uh, while they're doing that um we're not going to get very far, unfortunately, but hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. What, leaving this podcast walking away, what, what do you want, what do you want the take home message to be for all the listeners out there? For all the men going through this, what do you want that take home message to be? I think that the take home message is you are not alone. I think that is the, the, one of the key things is you're not alone and it's okay to talk about this stuff. It doesn't make you less of a man. Like this whole concept of masculinity. Like over the last few years, I've just been like, you know what? I'm not, I I don't adhere to that criteria of masculinity. And and it's not something that interests me anymore. I like, I don't, I don't want to go out and drink beer. I don't want to like a certain sport. I don't want to like, just because men are supposed to do that doesn't mean that's how you have to be. And it doesn't mean that you have to bottle up your emotions. It doesn't mean that it isn't okay to talk about this stuff. You can just, you know, you should be able to talk about mental health, regardless of the cause of it, you know, uh, and being honest about it, whether you struggle with something. I think there was a, when, when I went and met up with the guys about 18 months after we'd filmed the film and I shot these little follow-up interviews that are also on YouTube, uh, one of the guys, Alamin, I asked him about the process of making the film and how that had been for him. And he described it as, 
Well, he said two things. One, he said it was like a counselling session he didn't know he needed. And then the second thing he said was what it taught him was being vulnerable made him stronger. So I think for him, just opening up and and being able to bear all of his emotions actually freed him into feeling much more comfortable with himself and being much more confident within himself. And, you know, and this is a guy who's like, you know, he's got a, he's an amazing job. He's like, he helps people. He's, he's a, he's a surgeon. So he's like, you know, he's super smart and, you know, leader of, of the field that he's in when it comes to surgeons. But even he was like, you know, that vulnerability made him, stronger as a person so that's that's the takeaway for me it's like don't feel afraid to be vulnerable absolutely tom thank you so so much for joining our podcast and uh everyone please 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 watch the movie the easy bit it's really really important men sharing their stories their journeys and uh you are not alone you Mm -hmm. are not alone Hundreds and thousands of other men have gone through this. And it's important for us to share our stories and to be in contact with another and support one another while going through it. Do not, please do not suffer in silence. Thank you so much again, Tom. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Daniel. And, and good luck with... You've just listened to another great episode of Men Talk with Daniel Landau. If you've suffered from miscarriage, infertility, stillbirth, or infant loss and want to open up about it, reach out. We'd love to have you on the show. You can also join our Facebook group, or if you'd like to get involved and start a chapter in your neighborhood, visit our website, www.menshelpline.org today. Until next week, stay strong, and remember, you're not alone.